Welcome everyone to Shared Ireland's first podcast. Throughout Shared Ireland's podcast series, we'll be discussing a new Ireland, an Ireland for all the citizens, regardless of political persuasion or religious beliefs, an inclusive Ireland. We'll be having discussions with political representatives, commentators and people from all walks of society. And to kickstart us today, I'm delighted to be joined by MLA and SDLP leader, Colin Eastwood. Colm, you are a dairyman, born and bred in the city. Can I ask you what was it like growing up in the city? Uh, well, Derry's a great place, I would say that, but, um, but I am very proud of being from, from Derry. I, uh, I love being from Derry, actually, and Derry's a kind of a, a place where we're all very proud of being. Uh, from we do have a second city mentality where we uh, we, <laughs> we we feel as if we don't always get our fair share. I think we're right uh, in that, um, but that has kind of bound us together. Um, and it's a it's a, it's a funny place because um, y- you can have friendships and connections right across um, uh, the political spectrum, well at least within um, the broad nationalist spectrum, in a way that I don't think necessarily always happens everywhere else. Uh-huh. Um, there has been a great tradition here from the civil rights movement of of people from right across the board coming together when it was important um, uh, to get things done, and then you know <laughs> going apart again. Yes. Uh, but but uh, so they're a very interesting place to grow up. I, I, I remember going to school in St Columns College and being surrounded by uh, pictures of John Hume and Seamus Heaney and Seamus Dean. And, Freel and all of these people who, who who were connected to the school and connected to the city, um, a vast majority of them from kind of you know backgrounds that were pretty impoverished and, and had done these amazing things, mm-hmm. so we were kind of surrounded by that um, and probably inspired by it uh, growing up uh, in Derry, um, but also you know growing up at a time. Uh, at least the first ten or twelve years of my life, when when the troubles were going on around us and, and all of that, and the British Army and um, checkpoints and and the border, uh, the, the hard days. border and all that. So I mean, not that I was uh, directly affected, but but just that you had this sense yeah. of it. And I think it wasn't until after all that uh, stopped that 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 we realised how abnormal the whole thing was. Correct. You know? Um, that, that that normal was pretty abnormal and, and, and it was good that it had stopped um, but uh, I suppose as, as kids we didn't really uh, pay all that much attention to it because yeah. uh, it was just there all yeah. the time Yeah, understood Tell me this, Callum, why did you decide to enter politics? Was there, did you do anything before your political career or what drew you to politics? I suppose, I mean, I, I joined the SDLP in 1998 just after the Good Friday Agreement uh, was signed I joined, but well, I started campaigning for the Good Friday Agreement because a friend of the family, I was 14, 15, you know, and a friend of the family uh, was a, a very active SDLP member and I was always, always in the house and I tended to be arguing with him about mm-hmm. the SDLP. So it was always political. Yeah. You know, it was a political household. It wasn't a party political household, but I think every every house in Derry is political in one way or another. Yeah. Um, so we're always discussing uh, things, um, very much inspired by, by John Hume. Uh, and then decided to go out and campaign for the Good Friday Agreement because I could see it as a, as a major opportunity for our generation. And was it always going to be the SDLP column or had you conflicting thoughts on different parties? 
Um, not particularly. No, I, I, I was, I was, uh, I wasn't really thinking about political parties in that sort of sense at that age. What I was thinking about was was the country really, and that sounds grandiose, but I, I didn't. I don't mean it like that. I just mean I, I, I very strong Irish nationalist. Um, but I also believed uh, that violence was getting was nowhere. Um, that it had, uh, it was, it was just hard to watch mm-hmm. um, the, the the continuing violence that was going on around us, and that I I could see John Hume as somebody who had the answers, yeah. Um, and that his vision and the vision of the SDLP, you know, actually, you know, was being delivered through the signing of the Good Friday Agreement. Mm-hmm. So I felt at that moment that the, the, we were going to leave a lot of things behind and. Be able to build the new Ireland that we all talked forward, about, and, yeah. and I, I, you know, we strong nationalist background, family, um, but uh, you know, there was no support for the ARA in our house or any of that sort of stuff. Okay, and not, you know, maybe uh, I suppose every family has its has its has different strands, but I just I just a strong sense of social justice, civil rights tradition, yeah, um, but also the need to now take the Good Friday Agreement and run with it, yeah. Um, and for me, that meant building, uh, you know, a new Ireland, and yeah. that was always something that was very strong in, in my mind. And, and um, like I, I saw, I just came from the perspective that well, the SDLP had been sort of right from the beginning. Um, their analysis had been right. Uh, they were able to then deliver that through the signing of the Good Friday Agreement, which is you know really came out of John Hume's head in the mid sixties. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and I, I just I think when you believe in an analysis and it becomes you know, it comes true and it's proven to be right. Um, well, I, I, I just felt that if, if that was, if the SDLP were the party that were able to do all those things, um, then, well, that was the vehicle for, for, for changing things um, into the future. Just when you mentioned John Hume, and I suppose coming from his head in the 60s, 70s, with this vision of a new Ireland mm-hmm. and inclusivity, I suppose what we all want today moving mm-hmm. forward. Would it be a fair comment to say that by John reaching out to other nationalist parties, namely being Sinn Féin, that now you find yourself in a position where you have maybe are in second in the pecking order, shall we say? Absolutely. I mean, we, we have, you know, we understand that. Mm-hmm. Uh, we accept it. We don't accept it, but yeah. <laughs> we, we understand that that's a reality. Yeah. But John wasn't talking to Jerry Adams because he was a leader of Sinn Féin. He was talking to Jerry Adams because he wanted to talk to the IRA. Yeah. He wanted to be able to convince the IRA and the political analysis that underpinned what the IRA was doing and convince them that it was the wrong strategy. And, and, and it was a battle of ideas and a battle of strategic thought. Um, I think I, I think John uh, did that and he did change the minds of people within the IRA and within Sinn Féin. I have no doubt that they were beginning to think like that anyway, that yeah. that... that that had to become uh, that realization had to come uh, true and had to come come to them that you know how many how many more people were we going to send to jail how many more people were going to be uh, killed um, when actually the goal of a united Ireland was seem, seemingly getting further and further away because uh, the realization had to eventually set in that the only way you can actually achieve Irish unity is if you if if you bring the people of the island together, together yeah. and uh, to try to ignore that reality, to try to imagine that the British were just going to somehow leave, um, uh, was was silly in my view. And so, uh, did that affect us politically? Um, absolutely. Uh, 
but it was worth it. Yeah. Um, uh, but when I look at that now, I still think that the political analysis that the SDLP set out uh, then, and I think set out today, uh, is the right analysis. Um, and I think if you want to, uh, and I'm trying not to have a, a direct kick at Sinn Féin, but if you want to achieve change now, yeah. then you should look to the people who've actually been, I would say, right all along. Uh, the from, architects, from the possibly, system. often. Well, the architects, and provided that the correct political analysis, which is the most important thing, um, to the big problems that, that are faced. And remember, the Good Friday Agreement, <laughs> what did the Good Friday Agreement do? It, it, it put an end, at least, uh, and a, uh, put an end to the violence of a conflict that had gone on for almost 800 years between two countries. And people, mm -hmm. I think, sometimes miss that this was about two nationalities. Correct. This was about two nations at war in one form or another over hundreds of years. And the North became kind of crucible of all of that. Yeah. And the Good Friday Agreement created the structures and the architecture that allowed us to have a different way of interacting with each other. That's, that's, right. that's why it's so important. Um, I, I think to describe this as some sort of a sectarian communal conflict is a big mistake. Of course. And that, that, that description actually throughout much of the troubles uh, stop people actually understanding the analysis that was required to bring about the end of it. Um, whilst there was, you know, lots of sectarianism and it, it, it ended up, you know, there's so many sectarian murders on, on, on all sides and, and there was a sectarian state, you know, there were sectarian paramilitaries and all of that. The core problem was about two nations that, that, that had a major difficulty with each other and couldn't figure out how to live together. And I think sometimes um, media all across the world would like to portray this as a Catholic-Protestant thing, which, as you rightfully pointed out, has never been about that. It, it never has. No, it has, that, it has had a sectarian expression. And if you ask people who are uh, living along the border, uh, you know, many Protestant families who, who felt very strongly that there was a, a very strong sectarian element to the IRA campaign in, in, in certain places. And similarly, uh, the Catholic families in, in, in Loyalist enclaves and all of the obvious things that we saw around how the, 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 the Unionist state treated Catholics in this city and other places. And, and all of that is very obvious. But if you just treat kind of the symptom you're missing you're missing the disease and the disease was Correct. that these are two nations who haven't been able to live together for 800 years and in the north i mean i was talking to seamus marlin recently and uh it, it describes uh unionism and nationalism within the north as as kind of two orphans mm -hmm. um you know we're orphaned from from dublin and unionism has been orphaned from uh from from london and the sooner we kind of realize that uh, and understand that you could these two Orphans in an orphanage, it might be a good idea to talk to each other and work together. And that, that's, that's, Sounds very that's simple, a, doesn't that's, it? It does sound <laughs> simple, but it, um, sometimes we, we, we miss the simplicity, actually, exactly, and all right. of the noise, you know? Yeah. Okay, Colm, you've been leader of the party since 2015. Mm -hmm. You've been an MLA since 2011, I believe. Mm -hmm. And you were elected as a councillor in 2005. Um, including a year as mayor of the city, and I believe the youngest to date. Yeah, I think that'll be my grave still. <laughs> Very good. Um, what has been your greatest achievement so far, Carl? I uh, appreciate you've still got a long way to well, go. Well, I, I hope so. I mean, I, I, I still see myself as kind of just starting out, so um, 
I, I don't know. I, I, don't, I tend not to talk about myself in terms of great achievements. Well, you can um, use this opportunity. Well, I think. I, I think. <laughs> I mean, I think I was a. I was a good counselor, and I was able to work with um, people from across the political divides to get things done and get things delivered from a local community. Uh-huh. Um, I, I, I try to do that in, in my capacity as an MLA. Um, I think as a backbench MLA, I was very good at holding. Um, the Stormont executive to account for yeah. their lack of delivery for dairy. Uh, I think it helped make a lot of the strong arguments about the need for investment in the city, which are now becoming that you know, people seem to now be um, agreeing with right across the board, and that needs to be delivered. Um, I wasn't alone in that, but I'm just saying that was that's what I spent my time doing. Yeah. Uh, and um, I, I also think, I mean, whilst we had a very difficult election with the Westminster election. People often miss that in the assembly election just before that, we uh, we actually went up uh, for the first time in about twenty years. So mm-hmm. the assembly went down from one hundred and eight to to ninety seats, and proportionally we went up. Now, yeah. Not a massive achievement, but I came in to try to steady the ship. You didn't lose ground, did we? Well, we, we didn't, and we gained a bit. Um, I, I, what we were trying to do was steady the ship. We under the, the problems that the SDLP were facing were, uh, you know, were the seeds of that were there for long before. Um, the kind of new generation of the party came in and took over yeah. um, and I believe it was important to have that generational change and I think we did that very very quickly I also think that in the partnership that we had or the, the cooperation that we had with, with Mike Nesbitt and the Junior's party in opposition was beginning to show fruit and was beginning to, to make a difference was beginning to show that we can actually have sort of democratic discussion and tension uh, in the assembly but then of course Brexit happened yeah. and uh, Brexit changed everything because it uh, we'll probably get to this later but yes. it, 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 it fundamentally undermined the relationships in, in, in the north and then the RHA thing came and I think the assembly and the executive was shaky enough that that, uh, that rattled things so much yeah. that it just changed the whole political dynamic and now we're trying to two years later two, still two years later and we're trying to to um, to plot our way through that yeah and I think what I've done in the proposal that I've made and that has been overwhelmingly accepted by the party to have the relationship with Fianna Fáil is to take a, I would argue, pretty brave decision to change and to change um, in a big way. Which we'll get to later. Which we'll as get well. to later, I'm sure. <laughs> um, but I'm just, uh, so I think my role is, even when it's uncomfortable and sometimes unpopular, mm-hmm. is to plot yeah. is to plot a way forward. I've always felt that um, in difficult times, I no. knew this was going to be very difficult. The worst plan is not to have a plan. Well, it's not, you know, but I, I also think um, we didn't come in thinking we'll bring a lot of new young people in and that'll change everything. We did think things would be more stable and mm. we would have more time. Um, but I've al- always felt that things would get more difficult before they'd get easier for the party. And like most we, things, yeah. We, yeah we, we just needed to be plotting uh, a way forward. And I also think you can't obsess about your own political party if you're doing that you're you're losing you know you have to be always thinking about the country and your job is to plot a way forward for the country and i think i try to do that um and i, and I hope i hope i do anyway um because I, I just think i think this is this is the most turbulent but also most important time we've been in since the good friday agreement um and we have to get it right we really have to get it right okay okay well start getting into the, the meat of things here do the SDLP call, support the call for a border poll? If so, when? And what needs to be put in place for call? Well, we argued for the border poll to go into the Good Friday Agreement. Um, I mean, that, that was a fundamental part of the Good Friday Agreement because it recognised 
the principle of consent. Mm-hmm. When, of course, Sinn Féin opposed the principle of consent until the day before the Good Friday Agreement was actually signed. So, okay. um, of course, we supported border poll. We argued for it. Yeah. Um, and we, we, you know, when everybody else suppo- opposed that, um, we all we argued for it to be two concurrent uh, referenda mm-hmm. on both sides of the border. Um, uh, whilst that goes against uh, a sort of a a deep nationalist position within many of us, um, because we believe in thirty two county Ireland, it understands and recognises that the North needs to have its own referendum because it needs to give unionism its place, and that's Correct. a fundamental absolutely thing for the, for for this project. It's also a fundamental thing to recognise unionism unionism's place within this, and to and it's a big. It's a big compromise for nationalism. Yeah. It's one that the SDLP came to early because we could see the problems uh, that existed with uh, with not doing that. So just just on that, Colin. I'm sorry for butting in, but mm-hmm. how can we, or how can you, as a nationalist leader, help to alleviate unionist fears about this whole seeming momentum that is gaining towards a border pull? Well, for, first, let me just backtrack a bit because. Okay. Uh, when do I think a border poll should happen? Well, after we do the work is the answer. Um, yeah. To call for a border poll without an idea of how to win it, I think, is strategically inept. Yeah. Uh, and I think this is the most important thing that we need to get our heads around. Because if I was a unionist, I would be wanting a border poll tomorrow. Yeah. And we have to be very careful that we don't get, that Sinn Féin in particular doesn't get what it's asking for. Because if we have, if the British government listened to what Peter Robinson said, a lot of there was a lot of coverage about what Peter said in Glanty's. You know, the, the house insurance analogy. Ah, but, but 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 what Peter said in, in Queens just before that, mm-hmm. in a scripted speech, mm-hmm. wasn't off the cuff. He argued that there should be a border poll now, but there shouldn't be then another one for another generation. Yeah, that's a that's a very clever strategic position for unionism to take. Yeah. Now, if that's the clever strategic position for unionism to take, why would nationalism take the same position? Um, Leaving aside for one second all of the relationship stuff that we have to do and build, because the kind of Ireland that I want to see is one that is, uh, you know, uniting the people as well as as well as the territory. Um, Strategically, from a purely winning a referendum position, it is it is not smart to have a referendum now. I once heard you say, Colin, and it's something that stuck with me to this day, you once said, we need to do our homework first, whether that be five years, 10 years, or 15 years, but your key message was, do it once, win it, and that's it. Yeah, I, I don't think, I, I think from a nationalist perspective, we cannot be thinking uh, that we have a tester referendum and then we get another one. Look at how many changes have been made to the Good Friday Agreement. Mm-hmm. Right, a lot of people acquiesced in those changes, we didn't. But look how many changes have been made that have created fundamental problems for our politics today. Do you think for a second that the change around the seven years would not be made? Mm-hmm. Of course it would be made. Um, because people would realise, because we would have a very difficult time during that referendum. Yeah. And then they would say, well, God, we can't do that again. Look at the position that Nicola Sturgeon's in right now. Mm-hmm. If it wasn't for Brexit, she would be in real trouble from a Scottish nationalist perspective. Correct. Because they don't know when they want the referendum because they don't know how to win it. Yeah. And they took it uh, from well, I had a lot of friends in the SNP and I know them very well. They they took they made a huge advance from early twenties, you know, start of the referendum to mid forties. And I was there on the day of the referendum campaign. So my argument is: do it once, get it right, and win it. Yeah. Uh, and win it well because 
this isn't just about a referendum campaign. This is about, you know, we're not talking about the Lisbon Treaty here. Mm-hmm. We're talking about fundamentally altering the relationship between our communities mm-hmm. and between these two islands forevermore. That's big stuff. It is. Uh, we've waited a long time to do this. Mm-hmm. Why would we do it wrongly? And I think, I would argue that there is an attempt uh, to um, drum up the base um, with no actual idea of where that takes us. Yeah. And there's a, you know, w- when I say, why don't we plan for this first, I get sort of lundied, you know, by, by supporters of other, another political party. And uh, the idea that I'm not an Irish nationalist, you know, is, is hilarious. Because yeah. one minute I'm, caught, I'm, I'm too nationalist and the other minute I'm not nationalist enough. Yeah. Is nationalism not about actually getting in a United Ireland? Mm-hmm. Um, my view about the kind of United Ireland is, is one that, it, and I think everybody now agrees with this, that it's about uniting Catholic Protestant the centre, as, as Tom would have said, but actually doing that. Uh, but if you want to achieve just the simple constitutional status change, but then let's have a referendum that we can win. So... You look like you have another question. No, 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 no. <laughs> Just keeping on the same theme. In a recent podcast um, with Mike Nesbitt, Colin, which you may or may not have heard, Mike said, while he is a unionist, he obviously doesn't advocate a united Ireland. Mm-hmm. However, he fully supports a Good Friday Agreement in all his parts. Mm-hmm. So he understands and appreciates and accepts that nationalism will have a border pole someday whenever the country deems it to be that case. But he says it's up to nationalism to persuade him and other unionists alike that a new Ireland will be an inclusive one. How can you, as a nationalist leader, assure him, I suppose, number one, that that will be the case? But is I suppose it's hard to give examples because it's really a unique situation, but yeah. they have to be reassured. And I suppose that's my question. What would you say to them? Well, first of all, he's right. We do have to convince uh, unionism. Um, I get very worried when I hear the talk about demographics because, first of all, it doesn't actually add up that just there'll be more Catholics, therefore there'll be United Ireland. Mm. Um, it is a factor, obviously, but when I first um, was running for leader, I talked about progressive nationalism and I described that as um, uh, where Irish nationalism would become a, a kind of a... a, a a demographic of, of thought, not of birth. So it wouldn't be just that you would kind of be born into this. That yeah. Me as an Irish Catholic from an Estes family would be automatically supporting United Ireland. It would be that it would be a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so that we would be able to make the case that uh, an All-Ireland economy makes sense, that an All-Ireland health service makes sense, that you know, being part of a 500 million person market in the European Union makes more sense than being caught adrift like some people in London want to do Mm -hmm. uh, so that we're able to actually make this a positive thing Mm -hmm. and if you look back at uh, the time of partition um, there was a real fear within unionism that you know home rule would be Rome rule like home rule from Dublin alone (laughs) uh, that we would be leaving the biggest uh, economic zone trading block in the world Mm -hmm. which which the South did um uh, by leaving the British Empire, uh, and now look at it. Mm-hmm. So the South is a much more liberal place than the North because of the, the changes that they've made to uh, all sorts of social issues. 
the economy in the south is growing four or five times faster, whatever it is today, uh, than the north. And now we're about to leave potentially the biggest trading block in the world, which is the European Union. So the arguments uh, kind of around the need for partition from a unionist perspective uh, have now been totally flipped in their head. But that's all very well. And economic arguments are very important. We have to make them. We have to make people feel comfortable uh, that there will be major changes to the, the health service in the South. Yeah. Because people have a great affinity with national health, obviously. So and I think I. also just on the health, like some people are saying, you know, do we want to pay 50, 60, 90 mm-hmm. euros to go to see your GP? Uh, let me tell you, if that, if, that is, if that is the case, we will not want a referendum. Mm-hmm. So we have to fix that. And and there's major moves around Slanchic care and other things yeah. to do that. But we also have to be honest about the health service here. Like I, I can tell you the number of people who come into my office here are waiting for over two years yeah, for simple appointments. Yeah. So it isn't perfect, but people uh, want to be able to access a health service free at the point of delivery yeah. and one that actually works. So I, I, don't, I think we have two imperfect health mm-hmm. systems and we need to get one that works. That's right. um, but... If you, if you struck back all of those arguments and we can, I, I think there's a simple, very easy economic argument now to be made about, I, I don't think the North works on its own. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the idea that we have two different agencies trying to attract inward investment mm-hmm. to this part, this small island yeah. is crazy. Uh, I, I actually think we have a, a, an economic partitioning uh, of the North. I mean, if you go outside of, of the greater Belfast area, um, the rest of this place is falling miles behind. Yeah. Uh, equally, if you go to Donegal, uh, particularly in the, the very north of Donegal, yeah. there, because of partition, they have lost out economically. Yeah. But, but as we found out in the Brexit referendum, economics alone does not work yeah. to convince people. Uh, people aren't convinced by you know l- logic on its own. Uh, you know the, the issues that, that pull at the heartstrings are very important. So we have the answer. It's the Good Friday Agreement. Mm-hmm. And people have this notion, I think, that the Good Friday Agreement was a kind of a part-time thing. Yep. It was temporary. That you would sign up to the Good Friday Agreement and then we'd have a United Ireland event saying that it would all be, we'd just move on. Well, that's not my view. Uh, I mean, the Good Friday Agreement was the first All-Ireland election since uh, 1918. Yeah. So that is, that is the view of the people of Ireland, mm-hmm. of how, how we want to order this country. Mm-hmm. So what do we need to do? We need to look at the Good Friday Agreement and see how do we take that and bring it forward. So it isn't just uh, about moving kind of the flag around a bit. It's about saying, well, why can we not have cross-community protections uh, within the United Ireland? Just on that particular point, Colin, um, from talking to all our people from all sections of the society, obviously, we here in a shared Ireland have been hearing loud and clear from the unionist population that one of their fears in a new Ireland would be the loss of their British identity. Yeah. And I suppose, you know, it's very easy for us saying we want a 32-county Ireland, mm-hmm. but, like, we must consider the other side, which I appreciate we're discussing. Yeah. But that particular subject, a British identity and their loss of it, how can we ensure that that's protected? Well, there's nobody who knows more about loss of identity and denial of identity than, than Northern Irish nationalists. So we should understand better than anybody how to actually mm-hmm. uh, solve that problem. Yeah. And uh, there are many things you can do, um, gimmicky things, you know, around anthems and all of that, and that can all be discussed. But the fundamental point is that the Good Friday Agreement survives 
beyond uh, constitutional change. Now, there's a review mechanism within the Good Friday Agreement that has rarely been used, but that can uh, you know, be triggered to look at how we actually reorder yeah. devolution and reorder the institutions to, 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 to meet the new challenges that a United Ireland would bring. Mm-hmm. And it'll be a very different type of uh, uh, you know, devolution. But the cross-community protections within it are very, very important. Whilst they've been important for nationalism, they will, in a future United Ireland, be important for unionism. And that, that we've been saying this for, for many years, but it is core to the argument that we, that, that we will protect the unionist tradition, the minority tradition, as much as we would like to have been protected within uh, Northern Ireland. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that is fundamental. How that is given expression within a review and mm-hmm. how, how the actual structures would look is up for debate, but it needs to be it needs to be a kind of a, a foundation principle uh, of those of us who are trying to, to achieve change. Which I suppose leads me nicely on to my next question. Would you support a call for an all Ireland forum to discuss unity or a new Ireland? Well I, I think I was the first person to make the call. There you <laughs> for, go. For what what I said was the New Ireland Forum should be re- reconvened. I, I said that uh, last February uh, or, or two Februarys ago um, in the conference speech now you can call it whatever you want but what it means is that those of us who want to see change and and, and those who maybe don't Mm -hmm. uh, will sit down and go through the detail of how this would look um, and to the New Ireland Forum was was very very important in beginning to change the outlook of all of at least democratic Ireland to to see how we would solve the big problem we're back at that point again we're in a point of constitutional crisis and constitutional flux so what do we do we can put out press statements. We can all do our own individual pieces of work. But surely we should be in a room together figuring out how this gets done. Mm-hmm. And I believe that the Irish government should convene that. Now, mm-hmm. Convening it in the middle of this Brexit crisis is maybe not the smartest thing in the world to do. But we're nearly out of that. Yeah. And I think that uh, the next step has to be, and I've said this to the Irish government, I've said this to everybody who listened, that you take this away from individual political parties because that is, is bad uh, uh, for, for the argument that this becomes the Irish government's baby, that, but that all strands of opinion, including unionism, who'd come, uh, that, that we sit down and try to think about how this gets but if, done. if the Irish government seem to take ownership of this baby, as you put it, will that automatically nearly put certain sections of unionism their backs up? Well, I, I think we have a responsibility anyway, and some of us are trying to do this, is to have conversations, quiet conversations, not for press releases, quiet conversations with unionism beyond unionist po- politicians including them but beyond them uh, as well uh, around all of this and I would encourage people to come to the forum if it is convened no matter who they are yeah. now, I think that might take some convincing and take some time yeah. um, but I actually believe that what will end up happening in this big conversation that I think is inevitably beginning is that we from an Irish nationalist perspective, we will be put into the position where we will have to do the arguing for unionism. Mm-hmm. Um, if unionism doesn't come to the table, we will yeah. end up having to do the arguing for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now, that is a kind of a condescending position to be in, and I don't want to be in it. Mm-hmm. I would much prefer the people were there. But I think we can come at it from an educated position if we were actually having the conversation with unionism at the same time, yeah. in quiet ways. Um, so... Uh, Getting these things right are fundamental. Um, mm-hmm. They're so, so important because if we get them wrong, uh, we're in big trouble. But I, I, I do think, 
I think that has to be convened. I think we let get let's get Brexit resolved, <laughs> if it ever is resolved, yeah. and then uh, bring people around the table, uh, and, and not in a threatening way, but no. in a way that we're all forced to bring our ideas yeah. um, uh, to the table. And, and I, I think, suppose I think, it is encouraging to see or hear Mike Nesbitt discussing the subject. Peter Robinson, as you rightly alluded to earlier, at least asking unionism to ask itself the question. So mm. I suppose five years ago, or even two years ago, that question wouldn't even have been talked about. I, I think that's right. Um, but I think I think nationalism needs to be careful not to fall into the trap of believing that this is inevitable. Yeah. Because the numbers don't look like it's inevitable, to yeah. be honest. We can feel it. We can understand that there's change around us, and we speak to unionists, and people are more open, and, and the more distance we have from... Uh, you know the, the violence of the past and all of that allows for much more of a conversation and mm-hmm. people see that Brexit has changed things and all that but to believe something's inevitable means you won't do the work that's required to deliver Correct. it and I, so I, I think that is that is important and, and we just have to understand that the kind of Ireland that you want to see isn't one where we kind of just bang two uh, parts of the island together and assume that's all going to be fine because yeah. it won't because the damage that will do to your communities will be immense we have to build Hume always talked about uniting the people, and that the real that the real division within was within the hearts and minds of, of the people. Mm-hmm. He 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 never said actually. Sometimes he is quoted as saying, he never said instead of uniting the country. Yeah. He said that that's a key fundamental part of uniting the country. That yeah. he, unless we begin that work of uniting the community, then we're never going to be able to change the constitutional status. And the constitutional status is important, very important. Uh, you know the economic things are all very important. They make a lot of sense. It's quite obvious, um, but it's it, it, it's 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 the hard stuff that's yeah. going to actually change things. And if we're not able to show that we want to unite people, mm-hmm. um, then we're going to lose the art argument. Is my is my view? And that's a tactical consideration, but it's also, you know, if you think about the kind of Ireland you want to live in, yeah. it has to be one that people feel comfortable. Not just comfortable; they feel part of, yeah. and they feel ownership of. And that'll, 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 that'll challenge um, Southern politics in a way that Absolutely. maybe they're not ready for yet. And um, I guess but they that, have to get ready that's for. what we're trying to do here in a shared Ireland on all our social media platforms is to try and, you know, get a more in-depth conversation with people like yourself and Mike Nesbitt and others so that people, the ordinary 5-8, shall I say, mm. can, can hear, you know, the exact what you want to see and I suppose you've come across here you're a reasonable person and you want to see everybody being brought together, which I suppose is refreshing to hear in the times that we live in. Well, I, I just think there's a responsibility on us to stop banging the drum mm. and to stop. So we can, we can all see that there's change around, you know, that, that things have, have changed in one way or another. Um, there's a responsibility on us not to heighten tensions, but to actually address them. Yeah. and to deliver them and my strong view and this is not shared by everybody if we want to show unionism that we're serious about uh, involving them that we need an assembly and an executive in this place mm-hmm. you know, whilst all of the issues that are being talked about and negotiated are very very important and they're very important to us and we've worked on them for years if we have to make a decision as to what is more important so, well, I would argue that the health service and education is more important than anything in the yeah. economy. But if you think about the strategic aims of nationalism, just that on its own, is that more important um, than waving a flag about one issue or another? 
Mm-hmm. I think it is within our, as, 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 as someone once said, our selfish and strategic interest mm-hmm. to have an assembly in the north, mm-hmm. to have an executive in the north, and to show that we are prepared to share power and to work the thing. For a long time, it was sort of looked upon as if the agreement and the institutions of the agreement were kind of nationalism's baby and that it was a big compromise for unionism. But I don't quite accept that at all, but that's how it looked and felt. Now, there's some within nationalism who are arguing either quietly or loudly that um, we don't want to be back in and we're holding out for these issues to be resolved. That is uh, counterproductive, in my view. It does not allow us to achieve the new Ireland that we're talking about. Would you support, it stops us achieving it. Would you support the retention of Stormont in a new Ireland country? Yes, absolutely. And that's as uncomfortable as that may be, um, that's why I say the Good Friday Agreement has to be maintained. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think the, good, the spirit of the Good Friday Agreement will inevitably have to find its place within the institutions in Leinster House. Mm-hmm. Um, because we're going to have... Twenty percent of the population is going, uh, you know, uh, the the political voting bloc is going to be is going to be unionist. That's a pretty from the British tradition. Mm-hmm. That's a pretty big shake up for, for for southern politics as well. Um, I absolutely do, I, and I, I think there will be there's a review, the review mechanism that was talked about within the agreement will have to be triggered to look at how that actually looks. But I think it is essential. Mm-hmm. It is absolutely essential for us to recognise, first of all, these two parts of the island have grown up separately um, and, and it will take time to bring them together. But most importantly, that unionism can feel like it has a place uh, in, in a new Ireland. Exactly. And the best way to give that voice in the, in, in the sort of immediate term is to say to them, look, first of all, we want Stormont there now and we need, we need it there now as much as you do. But equally, we want it to remain uh, in a post constitutional change scenario yeah um, now it'll look different and all that but that it, that it exists and that you're protected within it yeah. i think that is fundamental for one in the argument mm-hmm. um, you mentioned leinster house there a couple of minutes ago how do you see the formal links with fina foil develop in the coming years colin and is getting prepared for a new ireland included in that thinking well it's not just included it, it is the it is the it is the catalyst for it okay um, that is the recognition that uh, um, that Brexit um, has fundamentally changed the conversation, and that um, all Ireland politics was was where things were moving. And if, uh, if our two parties, who have done so much to change the future of the, the, the face of the country and the island, um, uh, you know, miss that moment, then I think we we would be we would be making a major mistake. So. It is absolutely about that. It is about, um, I believe, two political parties who have credibility in speaking to unionism, uh, making sure that we're doing that and, and that we're beginning to do the groundwork. And a major part of the work which you will see being done will be about the practical steps for unity, but also the practical steps of bringing these two parts of the island together before unity happens and before a referendum happens. Because there's been a major missed opportunity uh, around north-south uh, North South, the North South institutions have been allowed to wither on the vine, mm-hmm. and we have been shouting about this for ten or twelve years, and nobody was listening. Mm-hmm. Uh, it has been, re- and I have said to people who will listen um, that we are approaching a very dangerous point uh, around the the sustainability of the Good Friday Agreement if we run down 
the north-south institutions and allow them to be run down. If we run down the north-south All-Ireland economy stuff and don't properly uh, take full advantage of, of that opportunity, and then we're hit by Brexit, and if Brexit further strips out um, the role of many of those north-south bodies, mm-hmm. then we're going to be faced with a, a sections within nationalism saying, well, we would never have signed up to this, none of us would have, a Good Friday Agreement without a strong north-south dimension. Mm-hmm. So that has to be um, rebuilt uh, and almost built from the ground up. So that's a major part of, 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 of what we're talking Can about. Can I just ask you a well. quick question about that, seeing that we're talking about the SDLP and Fianna Fáil mm. and your working relationship, shall I call it. Do you think it'll be time to put aside political differences and unite together in a common purpose on this one particular issue at least, a New Ireland border poll? I mean, I think the only way uh, the only way that change happens is if that all of Ireland, who those those of us who believe in change, come together, and that's what that's why I think that the New Ireland Forum or whatever we want to call it, the re, the reconvening of that idea at least, mm-hmm. um, starts its work, mm-hmm. and then we come with a common position mm-hmm. after that. Because um, I think part of the problem is that we're having. Um, uh, rightly, by the way, we, we should have an argument now mm-hmm. about the, strate- the strategy for winning a border poll. Yeah. That's important, because if I just sat back and, and agreed with what Sinn Féin are saying, mm-hmm. then, uh, well, as an Irish na- never mind politics or political parties, I think I would be letting letting Irish nationalism down mm-hmm. by rushing headlong into a, a border yeah. poll, because I think it's a bad idea. I may be wrong, but I, I think it's a bad idea. So it's important that we have that argument. Mm-hmm. Um but we do need to, and I don't mean just political parties across the island. I mean all strands of opinion yeah. um, that want to, that, that will, that are open to being convinced. Let's say, the constitutional change is a good idea. That they come together uh, around a common platform, and you know, there, there's some lessons to be learned, both positive and negative, from the Scottish referendum. Yeah, sure. Um, but I think that uh, no, that absolutely has to happen. But we shouldn't be shy about having our political arguments um, uh, to make sure this is got right. Um, is the loss of um, two MEP seats a worry to you? Uh, it, it, it is. Um, I mean, I think we were the first people just just after the referendum to, in one of the papers that we wrote to, to make the argument for the retention of, of uh, and we have we have three MEP seats. The, reten- the retention of the, the three seats. Um, yeah. It it didn't fly. Uh, it, it, it didn't it didn't uh, it didn't get very far but I think it was a good idea um, uh, I think it has been unfortunate that we haven't had MEPs as part of the three major blocks within mm-hmm. the European Parliament because everybody understands that the real business is done between the EPP the Party of European Socialists and Aldi the Liberal group mm-hmm. uh, within the European Parliament and that's where the power blocks lie you know yeah uh, whilst some of our MEPs are very vocal and looks very good from here, the bottom line is when it comes to the business of the European Union, those three blocks are what make the decisions and, and none of our MEPs have, have played any real part in those blocks and I'm not taking anything away from them, I'm just saying yeah, yeah. that that's a major reality. I think we lost uh, uh, big time when we didn't have a, a PES member as we had in John Hume, but that, mm-hmm. that's that's over. I'm just, it, it, but it is, I, I think we just need to understand how influence is properly used within the European Parliament and, and um, in particular so yeah it'll absolutely be a loss I don't want to leave the European Union at all yeah. I wish we weren't leaving uh, I think it is a it, it, it is actually a disaster for this place that we're leaving mm-hmm. and uh, and it, it, 
it's very, very frustrating that we're leaving against our will. Tell me this, can your ex-party leader, Mark Durkin, can he do a job for us? I think I think he could. Um, uh, I think Mark Mark is somebody who's badly missed from frontline politics. Mm-hmm. The impact that he had in Westminster uh, was huge. And remember this: uh, when we're talking about a border poll. It was Mark that got the British government to agree that uh, that if there was a border poll, a successful border poll, that we would be able to automatically um, rejoin. The European mm-hmm. Union, because remember, the Irish state would then be different. Mm-hmm. So we've got the European Union and the British government, and it's the letters written from David Davis, and David Davis, and others to support that. That was fundamental. Now, it doesn't look like much at the time. Mm-hmm. Watch when it comes to the referendum campaign how important that will be, because it was something that was thrown up to the Scottish nationalists, mm-hmm. and will be again. Yeah. Uh, oh, you believe in the European Union, you know? So that that well, maybe not again now because. British and probably the whole UK is supposedly leaving the European Union, but it will be fundamental in the argument. Um, so anyway, that's uh, uh, that was important. I think Mark has a long, long career of writing the bulk of the Good Friday Agreement, mm-hmm. uh, implementing it, and, and representing the people of this city. I, I think he'd be very good. Uh, MEP um, and he, he whether it's a bloc that I would want to be involved in or not the, the European People's Party he if he gets elected he'll be part of what will probably be the largest bloc in the European Parliament the next time around I don't want to labour in this column um, but did you find it surprising given your current links with Fianna Fáil that Mark decided to uh, go with shall we say a different party I did <laughs> it was surprising alright um, but, but I, I also believe that um, look, Mark was offered an opportunity uh, to represent people in the European Parliament and, and, and I think it's quite brave to say that when you're running for election in Dublin that he wants to represent the people of the North mm. uh, you know, so that's a, bra- a brave decision I think he'll I think it's it, it is difficult, to, difficult to, 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 to understand and yeah. explain to people but I, I think Mark's doing it for the right reasons. Yeah, no doubt. Mark is not a centre-right person. <laughs> There's not a centre-right bone in his body. Um, but he sees the opportunity of being in the European Parliament uh, and, and representing the position of the North because we are going to, I mean, one way or another, uh, we're going to be hopefully getting into a discussion about the future relationship between Britain and the European Union. And I would like to have somebody there who knows what they're talking about mm-hmm. and who understands the North. Because we don't have anybody else, so that that that, um, whilst it's politically uncomfortable maybe for us, uh, I, I I I get it and I understand it. Yeah. Okay, we're getting near the end, Carl. You'll be glad to hear. Just on a different note, what would you say to young nationalists thinking of joining the PSNI today? Well, the the SDLP sort of post Good Friday Agreement did an awful lot of the political heavy lifting around policing and I remember the day I remember going to John Hume's office and the day I was told that they were signing up to we were signing up to policing and kind of having big questions about it because <laughs> the Saturday night before I'd seen how, how, how the RUC as they were then were carrying on in mm-hmm. the city centre yeah. uh, and I major difficulties but when I saw the change that they were able to make around Patton and all of that uh, and that they were able to get through. So Patton was, was immense. And then we had Peter Mandelson, the Secretary of State, rip Patton apart uh, in the, uh, in, in, in when he produced the, 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 the policing bill uh, in Westminster. 
uh, and then Seamus Mallon and others did an enormous amount of work to bring it back to Patton. Some people would suggest, Colin, you can change the name, but has the mindset of the PSNI establishment been changed? Um, I, you know, I, I think it has in large part. Will, will there be hangovers from the past? Absolutely. Will there always be people who who uh, who, who have a uh, you know are trapped in the past? Absolutely. On all sides. But, on all sides. But 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 what? The fundamental, what, what can you do when you're trying to change a police force to a police service? Uh, what can you do when you're trying to change a, an organisation that was deeply sectarian, uh, that was uh, corrupt, and that uh, in some parts was actually involved in, if you look at the Glenarm gang and all of that, in, in collusion, collusion and, and being very serious actors within the conflict. So... How do you change that? You have to have, first of all, you have to get the legislation right. You have to get the structures right and the organisation right. I believe that Seamus Mallon and others did that by putting down, I can't remember the number, but it was tens of amendments within the, the policing bill to get it back to Patton. Now that was grand and we signed up, but it took then the first policing board to do an enormous amount of work to actually deliver because Patton was a, a platform. It was, a, you know, it was an opportunity. It had to be delivered. Yeah. I mean, I wasn't one of the, maybe it was the second uh, um, district policing partnership, uh, and many of our people in the first ones of those had bombs put outside their houses, were threatened. I remember being spat at, got into a, a meeting uh, around policing in, in the bog side. We had bricks thrown at us, got into mm-hmm. a, a one in the gas yard. But see, when the SDLP signed up to policing, we went to the bog side, we went to Craigan, we went to West Belfast, we went to the Brandywell. We did public meetings. Which took great some this year as well. Well, uh, it, it did because sometimes you were on your, there was two or three of you and there was a lot of people who disagreed with us, let's <laughs> just say that. Uh, and it was rough, very rough. Uh, and uh, But we did that. Sinn Féin went in our in Dublin when they signed up. I mean, that, I, I found that very difficult to take. Uh, that they allowed uh, not just the STLP, but the... Uh, the independence, the nationalist independence on the board to deliver the change mm-hmm. and then they signed up. I thought that was easy for them. Uh, and, and some of the people who were actually being fairly <laughs> abusive to me and others um, were uh, um, were people who then became very involved in the structures of policing. But So that's the political heavy lifting that was done. But the real heavy lifting that was done was by the ordinary nationalists who joined the police. Mm-hmm. That was very difficult. And I know many of them. Very, very difficult for them. And in this city... They can't really live in this city, or at least in the city, say. And that's a hard, hard thing to do. It was a very patriotic thing to do, to take up that opportunity. We cleared the decks for them. We'd we'd done the political heavy lifting. We changed the structures. But somebody needed to then step into the breach, and they did it. And I thought that was courageous and very, very important. That's very difficult for them now. Um, And and, and, uh, a big part of the problem with, police recruitment out one to get rid of the 50-50 recruitment which was a mistake but the other is there's people out there trying to kill them yeah. and and I would argue that they're trying to kill Irish police officers now, that's not a new thing in the history of Ireland uh, but it's it, 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 it's counterproductive Colm, local elections are just around the corner as we all know and I'm sure you and all parties are getting geared up for them behind the scenes mm-hmm. how will the SDLP tweak your strategy to win new voters and maybe more importantly win back old voters well, I mean, when we did the 
the major announcement with, with Fianna Fáil, we were very clear that this was a long-term thing. So it was about the next generation, not the next election. Yeah. And uh, like I, I'm pretty sure there's going to be tough elections for us uh, in, in, in the short term. But what we're trying to do is build for the long term, build a strategic partnership that is about policy and about delivery and is about the new Ireland. Uh, and showing that that, showing that that will work will take time. Yeah. You know, we're under no illusions about that. We're not trying to, um, we're not doing anything gimmicky to try and, you know, win people over because we know that doesn't work here. It has to be long term. We have a lot of work to do to kind of rebuild the party right across the north, mm-hmm. and that'll take time. Uh, but we're we're committed to that. Um, but we're not expecting major breakthroughs, you know, in a couple of weeks. But we're, we're but, but we're working towards building a platform that can deliver change for, for, for the longer term. I think we've got now got a bit of stability and sustainability because of the partnership, but we're, but we're determined to, to show that it can work uh, in the longer term. Okay, thanks. Last couple of questions. You've got two children, I believe. Yes. Would you encourage them to enter the political world after their father? Well, I would allow them to. I don't think I would encourage them to. Yeah, yeah there's a big difference. <laughs> yeah. it, it, uh, politics is... Politics will get a lot of stick, and rightly so. But it isn't an easy life, and it's it's not easy for 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 people for your family either, because you're you're away away an awful lot. I, I would like, but I want my children to be happy in whatever they do, and yeah. I'll support them to do whatever they want to do. But uh, I wouldn't be overly yeah. delighted that if they get into politics. Very good. Okay, we're nearly there, and um, we want to ask everybody on a more lighthearted note before we end. If you could be anyone alive for a day, column just for one day, who would it be? But more importantly, maybe why? Well, I think I would like to be Donald Trump. Okay, very good. Because there, there's no psychologist in the world that seems to be able to understand what's going on inside his head. And I think if I had a day at it, I could maybe get a, make a stab at understanding what he's all about. <laughs> I don't think too many people in the future will be looking to be Donald Trump. <laughs> okay, very quickly, yes or no answer. Potatoes, rice or pasta? Potatoes probably, yeah. Soccer, GAA or rugby? GAA then, soccer. Favourite food? Uh, I don't know. Bur- I have no idea. Burgers. <laughs> That's not my favourite food, but the first one came into my head. Water or alcohol? I have to say water, don't I? Whether I mean it or not. <laughs> <laughs> the best political party in Ireland? SDLP. And this will be a tough one for you as well. Uh, best county in Ireland? And Derry. <laughs> Derry um, all day. And all maybe, that, not, maybe not in football. The minute, but, uh, uh, yes, but we maybe won't enter that road. No. And on that note, Colin Easton, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you today. Thank you very much for giving up your valuable time. I and all our listeners really appreciate it. And I wish you nothing and your party only success as you move forward. Thank, Thank you, you very, very much. much. Thank you very much. Enjoy